This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Nowadays, it is very common to see fatty liver on abdominal imaging. I don't know how many times I've seen that on patients' imaging that comes to me. Now, this has become one of the hottest topics when it comes to liver health because it has become so prevalent. Liver health and metabolism plays a very crucial role in obesity. Let's discuss this further with Dr. Marie Lepartia. Dr. Lepartia is both certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine, and she has done some research in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as well. She is the founder and medical director of Numio Medical, which is a boutique-style obesity medicine practice, offering a comprehensive and personalized approach to patients. Welcome, Marie. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's so good to have you. You've done some research on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But, you know, let's just start at the very basics. What exactly is fatty liver disease? Yes, thank you. It's, it's a very, as you said, very hot topic because it's becoming so common and the prevalence is um, so high and going higher. So fatty liver disease is abnormal accumulation of fat in the liver tissue. Right, so normally there is up to 5% of fat in the liver, and that's normal. But anything beyond then, we call it fatty liver disease. And recently, actually, there's been some discussion of renaming this disease from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease to metabolic-associated fatty liver disease, because it's just really associated with like things like metabolic syndrome and obesity and diabetes, and we'll talk more about those. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, initially when this was discovered, it was probably just in patients who were consuming more alcohol. And that's why the whole concept of alcoholic fatty liver disease and the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, because it was found that some patients who were not consuming alcohol also had uh, fat deposition in their liver. And now that, that science is moving forward, we're seeing what's really causing this. And that's really fascinating. And I'm going to talk about this more with you. So what really causes all of this fat deposition? Yeah, that's a good question. So there are a few theories of how that happens. We don't really know, but there's interesting, interesting study that was published a few years ago. And so what we know is that fat deposition in healthy liver that that has up to 5% of fat and is healthy and it kind of has normal level of fat, the fat deposition pathway, fat accumulation there is different from when we have fatty liver disease. So, um, for example, uh, we know that in healthy liver, the majority of fat deposits are coming from, you know, dietary fat or like free fatty acids. And when they compare to patients who have fatty liver disease, a lot of fat dec- uh, deposition happens from what's called de novo lipogenesis or new fat formation. So it was not that much from the fat we eat or the fatty acids from the circulation, but, you know, different pathway that makes new fat. That was really, really interesting. 
Yeah, and you know, it's become a very complex pathophysiology. And, you know, there's this question of chicken or the egg, which comes first, the liver fat or uh, obesity? Yes. Um, and they're so closely interlinked. Can mm -hmm. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting concept because we know that it's basically insulin resistance in the liver, right? So yeah. is that kind of disrupted pathways that's driving with insulin resistance, that's driving obesity and abnormal fat accumulation everywhere? Or is that primary obesity that's then secondarily causing the fatty liver disease, right? I don't think we have a clear answer to that at this point, but it's interesting that, yes, the fatty liver disease is usually associated with metabolic syndrome and very high prevalence in patients with obesity and with diabetes. For example, patients who have obesity and type 2 diabetes, the prevalence of fatty liver disease is almost like 90%. Yeah. So we know association, but we don't know what comes first because first. now we are seeing <laughs> this disease in lean patients also, right? Right. With some, you know, metabolic dysfunctions. So what's the trigger? What's kind of, what is the first thing that goes wrong? We don't know for sure. Yeah. And it's not just the obesity. I mean, fatty liver itself causes insulin resistance because we know that um, that is one of the major drivers of insulin resistance in somebody mm -hmm. is the fat deposition in the liver. Mm -hmm. But how does our lifestyle impact fatty liver? I mean, you know, this has really become a very, very prevalent problem now. It wasn't so few years ago, or I should say a couple of decades ago. How has our lifestyle impacted this? Yeah, that's a great point. So what we know now is that in general population, at least 30% of people have this disease. And it's probably really underdiagnosed because we don't routinely right. screen for it, right? Of course. So it's at least 30% going higher. And even in kids, prevalence is at least 10%. And that's also going higher. And we also know that it's number one chronic liver disease in um, Western countries number yeah. one cause of liver disease. And it's the leading cause of liver transplant requirement. And wow. the first, number one for women, and I believe number two, it's on the rise, whereas yeah. all the other causes are going down. So, you know, it kind of correlates with mirrors. If you look at the numbers, really, the prevalence increase and epidemiology of obesity as it's going higher we all have seen this you know these maps of you know it's been about like less than 25 percent decades yeah. ago and 30 <laughs> and now everything is really dark dark red and now about 42 percent so that's going higher diabetes rate is going higher so yeah. as we said what starts first we don't know but probably you know coincides with a lot of things right all these metabolic diseases change in our lifestyle less physical activity, less like physical labor. We're not like going out and like doing physical work. It's all physical inactivity. A lot of processed food, even right. when... I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it, a lot of things are that's boxed in markets and marketed as healthy food. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost, I mean, you know, full of no one really knows what. Um, a lot of sugar, a lot of added sugar, um, a lot of 
you know, fructose and high. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's not just the added sugar, it's the fructose that's really driving a lot of the fat deposition in the liver. So, you know, high fructose corn syrup or any sort of fructose. But actually, you know, people might get confused because most of the fruits do have fructose in them. But it's important to understand that the fructose that's there in the natural foods, it's tied to fiber. So the absorption is like really slow. It's not as rapid as you would see with something that's made with high fructose corn syrup, which is processed, and that gets really absorbed really quickly. And the metabolism of fructose takes place in the liver. Yeah. And that's where the lipogenesis or deposition of the fat or new fat formation in the liver really takes place. And that's really kind of what is one of the major driving factors for fat deposition in the liver. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, so that one of the studies that I mentioned earlier, de novo lipogenesis, so new fat formation, it's exactly that's driven by fructose. Because what's the difference between glucose and fructose is that, for example, if we eat something that's, let's say, starchy, right, that are chains of glucose, what happens is that it goes into liver and circulation and whatever is excess, it goes to glycogen in liver and glycogen in muscle, right? This glucose sugar deposits and excess, it goes to like fat formation and is used for energy. Unlike fructose that has really nowhere else to go, it has to be metabolized in the liver. And one study, it's actually nice that it's showing that it really depends the glycogen kind of tank, how full mm. is glycogen tank in the liver. That determines which way that fructose goes. Because if glycogen tank is already full, if it's not full, that's where kind of fructose can be pushed to con- be converted and make um, kind of contribute to that glycogen storage. But if it's already full, it has nowhere else to go. And it's pushed towards making new fat in the liver. And as you said, you know, when we eat fruit, it's the slow, this chewing moment and slow absorption. And also in the gut, there is just some, it's really, as you said, slow absorption, delayed with fiber and other, all the other nutrients. But when you are loading with a lot of sugar, it just, your liver gets overwhelmed. We're not really... Probably human liver or any animal <laughs> liver is not designed to metabolize that much fructose in a short period of time. And I think one of the things also is that, for example, fruit juice, right? Yeah. It's a lot of times, especially marketed towards kids as a healthy and 100% and organic and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. it's just sugar drink. Yeah, I mean, like, I I think that's true for anything, you know, yeah, people are just trying to put the word organic in front of anything and they're Mm -hmm. trying to portray that it's healthier. But really, you know, even if it's organic, it doesn't matter. It's if it's sugar, it's sugar. Right. You can have organic poison. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. This marketing is like, you know, putting on water, like cholesterol free or things like that. I mean, yeah, zero calories. That doesn't make sense. It's just water. <laughs> so what are the downstream effects of you know having this fatty liver or how does it affect you over the years as you said it's kind of driving this insulin resistance right it's insulin resistance yeah. in the liver 
fatty liver disease itself is associated with higher like cardiovascular complications. So things like heart disease and uh, heart attacks and uh, stroke. So again, we don't know what's coming first, right? But it's all kind of association. It's associated with this metabolic syndrome and diabetes and so all these other metabolic conditions that are associated with the higher mortality and the, the poor outcomes. But fatty liver itself, so there's fat deposition and depending on how much fat is there, you can with different tests kind of grade the severity. And then over time, about 20% of all these patients will develop what's called steatohepatitis, right? So initially, it does not have to be any inflammation or fibrosis, but over time, 20% will develop this disease, which is, it's more inflammation, it's more like scar tissue formation. And then some percent of it will develop cirrhosis that has that's high risk for liver cancer will require transplant surgery so it it will go to full kind of liver failure and if we think of it how prevalent it is that at least 30% of population has it and it's on yeah. the rise and then you kind of 20% of that will develop hepatitis and 20% will develop wow that's a huge number. Liver disease, that's a huge number. And that's that's why it's number one cause of chronic liver disease. Yeah, I mean, even amongst clinicians, sometimes it's, you know, it's undermined in terms of health because really this is an emerging field in terms of, you know, management of fatty liver and whatever. So is this reversible, really? Do we know, do we have any data about any medications that work on it or any lifestyle changes that can cause it, the fat in the liver to go down? Yeah, I think that's the best part and why I think especially high-risk patients should really be screened is how reversible it is. And cornerstone is lifestyle and weight loss. So um, it's interesting that any weight loss is helpful for fatty liver disease. And it's reported that just 3% of weight loss, which is so 3% of total oh, wow. body yeah, weight. That's, that's just tiny. <laughs> right. Improves the fat or steatosis, right? Fat deposition. And more than 5% weight loss improves the inflammation that's associated with the fatty liver. And it's reported that weight loss more than 10% of, so 10% of total body weight, right? It improves even fibrosis or this, you know, scar tissue. So that's reversible too. That's amazing. Even advanced stages are reversible. Yeah, we know that liver has great potential of, you know, reversing back and Mm -hmm. kind of healing itself. So it's very encouraging to see that, you know, small changes in your lifestyle can really help move you in the right direction as far as fatty liver goes. Right. And the other thing is exercise. Oh, yes, absolutely. exercise, even without weight loss, which is, I think, the most important part that can improve the liver liver fat and fibrosis. So the, it's important that we should never, when we talk about exercise, never link exercise to weight loss. That's true. Because a lot of times people start exercising and, you know, it's weight loss does not come just with, you know, routine exercise, right? And then a lot of times they quit, oh, I'm not losing weight anyway. So it's important to know and understand that 
with exercise, it's not just weight loss. Even without pound lost, it improves the histologic. So, you know, what we are seeing on the, the tissue parameters. So it's huge. And all types of exercises, you know, um, aerobic or strength training or, you know, cardio. So it's really, really important. And, you know, there are some medications, but the lifestyle and weight management exercise are really, really cornerstone. I mean, we, I don't want to name specific medications, right? Of like course. For, but, you know, whether some vitamins or things that improve histology, but that should be always combined with the, with the lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, the, the cornerstone really remains uh, a good diet and exercise, mm-hmm. uh, really. But what about, you know, medications like statins? Do they help at all? There is some data, but it's not... It's still it's controversial, not, right? It's still yeah. controversial, and studies are kind of... Results are conflicting. You know, few few medications that are more used, for example, like that are approved for treatment but i I think food is the best medication absolutely (laughs) absolutely is the best but a lot of times the question is okay like is there a specific food right right that's that's where we (laughs) that's yeah i think you have to look at it from a broader perspective and understand it's it has to be just food that you need to eat you know there's a guest on my podcast and who mentioned this term food and food-like substances and it just yes. stuck with me <laughs> so <laughs> as long as it's food and not food-like substances i think exactly, you're good <laughs> exactly especially that all these studies that we you know are so you know whether it's low fat and high carb or low carb high fat as long as it is coming from whole food yeah. Both are associated with improved fatty liver disease. That's a good point. Yes, yeah. it doesn't matter what type of diet it is as long as it's whole foods. As long as it's, it's whole, real you know, food. There are some differences in, you know, different endpoints, but when we talk about fatty liver per se, both have seen uh, we have seen some improvements in from both kind of approach as long as it's but you know, I think the most important is again fructose. I mean, when I right. have patients with fatty liver disease, I one of the things I try to, given that we know it's a fructose that drives de novo lipogenesis and new fat formation, you know, one of the things is to, I recommend is to eliminate all the added sugar and for some time even, you know, limit very high sugar fruit and focus more on, you know, low sugar fruit and a lot of vegetables. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, avoiding all the especially sugar-sweetened beverages or fruit juice. but goal always is to transition to whole food where honestly when you are eating whole food you don't really need to count anything calories or (laughs) macros unless you are doing something you know specific right for like some specific goal let's say Um, yeah and the you know the other thing that i want to point out to listeners is it's not just high fructose corn syrup really if you mm -hmm. look at the cane sugar or table sugar Mm -hmm. that also has fructose in it it's 50 percent right fructose and 50 percent glucose mm-hmm. so that's it's it's not to say that it's just high fructose corn syrup it's no. any form of sugar mm-hmm. that you look at unless it's specifically glucose or mm-hmm. it's milk that doesn't have fructose in it otherwise you know sucrose in its form like the, the table mm-hmm. sugar does have fructose also yep. in it it's 50 50 so the only difference between regular sugar what we call sugar table sugar and high fructose is that in high fructose corn syrup, it's 5% more fructose more, and exactly. little less glucose. But otherwise, it's all 50-50. And, and it's, just, it's just really too much for our cells to handle. 
We- yeah. And you know, how quickly do you see in your patients reversing this fatty liver with weight loss? How quickly does it start occurring? You know, parameters start improving within three months. As soon as uh, those, you know, metabolic parameters are changed and weight starts coming off or exercise is added, you will, you will start seeing improvement. So it's not like it's not years, it is within weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the fascinating part about the physical health that once you start improving all of these things, your lifestyle, you start seeing results fairly quickly. Right. It's interesting that like if you, let's say you do, for example, blood work, right? And you check some metabolic parameters like even high sensitivity CRP or things like that, it starts improving way before you start losing weight. Yep. And yeah, for our listeners, high sensitivity CRP is just another measure of inflammation in the body that we use. So yeah, that also starts yeah. improving fairly quickly with mm-hmm. you know, changing your lifestyle. Yeah. Changes in lipid panel, cholesterol, high sensitivity CRP, your insulin levels, it just starts improving so quickly. And even before you're seeing any physical changes. So it's really, really fascinating. And so underappreciated how much change, (laughs) how much control we have. Yeah. So, Mari, people sitting at home, how can they start losing the liver fat? What can they start doing today to make this change? I think my number one advice to everyone is start with, you know, kind of writing down and visualizing what are the things What's the goal? And then break down in steps so that it's not overwhelming. You cannot just start doing 10 things on one day and follow through. So for me, the way I approach, I write down the big goal and then kind of how to get there and what are the tools. So let's say if we are someone who gets a lot of soda and processed food and, you know, like a lot of takeout from fast food, the number one I do is get rid of, let's say, sugar-sweetened beverages, right? And so we just kind of break down all the steps, how to get there. But I think number one would be to move as much as possible, as much as, you know, you are able to. It does not have to be formal, like, exercise. And you don't have to go and sign up for gym membership. But it's just general physical activity and movement that makes, it goes really long way, whether using stairs or, you know, just, getting up from the desk every few minutes. So uh, physical activity and starting with kind of evaluating where is your, you know, eating habit, starting from eliminating sugar. I mean, there is not a single person that benefits from added sugar in the diet, right? So it's no matter what you like, whether it's, you know, what is your lifestyle, added sugar is not good for anyone. And then kind of going from there, focusing on eating food. And that should be as simple as that. You don't have to guess like how much and what when you are actually eating food. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when we talk about sugar. I remember either listening listening to this somewhere or reading it somewhere. Somebody pointed out a very valid point. You know, sugar in itself does not have a recommended daily allowance. Really, sugar is not necessary for us. Yes. So that's very important to understand that really you can eliminate sugar from your diet safely. Um, Exactly. And by sugar, I mean added sugar, like table sugar, sugar, Mm -hmm. 
or high fructose corn syrup in any syrup in any form you know even things like honey things like agave nectar things like maple syrup all of these have sugars in them mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. are much more bioavailable even though they may be naturally occurring mm-hmm. sugars but they are not really that healthy right right so for example like honey decades ago was really a treat right no one had honey at home sitting yeah. all the time on shelves so we are it's just you know we normalized it but our livers have not normalized it and they're really <laughs> really so cancerous really really suffering we, we just need i mean i don't know maybe years years from now our Once livers will, be, <laughs> will have different mechanisms and uh, enzymes working to kind of start metabolizing this fructose but for now we're just really suffering and you're right it for example low carb diet right so we know that like when we look at macros we have essential amino acids proteins essential fatty acids we don't really need to function any carbs so whatever you are getting like if you get from all the whole food whether from a lot of vegetables even if you include like fruit like even four serving of fruit your you know amount of the total carbohydrates that you get is still so much lower than if you eat anything processed so if you are eating you don't have to be on like you know low carb or very low carb diet even if you are just on whole food diet no matter what kind of food you eat automatically it just fixes your macros by itself right right so i mean there are people who will benefit more from low carb some you know prefer beyond you know more high carb and low fat and we don't know maybe there are some genetic differences how we handle we know that different ethnicities, people of different ethnicities handle, like, for example, carbs or they metabolize different ways, right? And it's probably from all this time, the you know, what our ancestors ate. I'm sure we have different activities of different enzymes. I'm sure there are some differences that we are just not able to really measure. So it depends on how metabolized things yeah, I mean, regardless of what type of diet you follow, whether it's a low-carb diet or a mm-hmm. high-carb diet, as long as you're eating whole foods, and that's really the key. Absolutely, yeah. Regardless of the diet you follow, yes. it should be comprised mostly of whole foods. Mm-hmm. I yes. won't say completely because it's it's in this day and age, practically speaking, it can be very, very difficult to mm-hmm. go on a completely whole food diet. If you can, kudos to you. That's the best thing you can yep. do for yourself. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you cannot, then it should be mostly whole foods, yes. real foods and not food like substances yeah. <laughs> yeah at least 80 percent i think right right at least right. most of the time and if you yeah. do it you know once in a while or if it's like some kind of whether it's dinner or celebration or something i, I don't think you know eating like huge piece of cake once or you know even once a week or something will really deray and like ruin completely your metabolism right i think sure. it's this constant dripping all these substances inside that that's <laughs> ruining metabolism constant dripping of these organic poisons <laughs> organic yes yes organic 100% natural <laughs> i mean we we have organic sugar and like raw sugar and a lot of people 
fall for, for it, right? They, yeah, it's they, all marketing. They pay it's extra and they think they're doing something really beneficial for themselves. And it's, yeah. it's not... Oh, that's why we are here. I mean, that's why I try to do this to kind of get this message out to people so that they can understand the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. And how they can start living healthy. So, Marie, how can people reach you? Yes, so I am on social media as Dr. Libartia, D-R-L-I-P-A-R-T-I-A, on all platforms. And you can also find my practice, which is Numeo Medical, N-U-M-E-O Medical, and it's uh, onewords.com. Okay, yeah, I'm going to link to your website and your social in my show notes. Thank you. So people will be able to find you from my website as well. Listeners, don't forget to drop in a review. I would love to hear from you and love to know what your feedback is. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Mary, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'll see you all next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.